Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. What a beautiful morning it is. How good is finals football? What a brutal, contested game it was last night. Port Adelaide, one win away from a grand final as they have the week off and home through to a prelim final. Honestly, it was amazingly special to be there last night and it's what makes our sport so great. There was people in their scarves. There was a huge crowd. The atmosphere was electric and both sides didn't disappoint last night. I'm particularly interested in hearing from the Geelong fans this morning. one 736 736 as you wake up to another failed performance in finals. So there's obviously a lot to talk about from last night. We're going to preview the game tonight. Richmond taking on Brisbane, which will have significant ramifications for the Premiership. But it is so good. Finals footy is back, and I felt fortunate to be at the Adelaide Oval last night on the back of what has been a disastrous year on so many fronts, but it was a special night. one 736 736 the captain's run. We're going to hear from the Australian Test captain, Tim Payne. We'll talk some tennis with Brett Phillips as the French Open is in full swing. We'll go to the US and speak to Los Angeles Lakers guru, Trevor Lane on the back of uh, LeBron James just decimating the Miami Heat in the first game of the NBA Finals. Some other coaching news as you just heard from Meredith Gibbs with Doc Rivers and his coaching situation. We're from Tommy Wren from Channel 9 who was also in Adelaide last night to get the latest on the Brad Crouch situation and as more suitors emerge from him and both Stengel and Crouch apologised yesterday and the latest there and Chad Corns, Port Adelaide assistant coach, will join us after 11 o'clock. But no show is complete without your calls and lines are available. Take your calls right throughout the morning, one 736 736 Let's get the show underway with this. Todd Marshall, you've got to play her in finals. Injured his shoulder early. Long range shot. Oh, it's delirium at the Adelaide Oval. He splits the middle in its own way for Todd Marshall. That's heroic, given how he's toiled through the night. An 18-point lead late, and the town consents a home preliminary final. Jared Waitley at his absolute best part of the AFL Nation and SEN coverage of the footy last night. That was the good. Now this is the bad. I don't want to start with a definition. In sport, choking under pressure is a negative athletic experience that may have psychologically damaging effects. The media recognises that choking is a dramatic drop in performance, whereas researchers have labelled choking as any decrease in performance under pressure. 
Make no mistake, Geelong was the team under the most pressure heading into the 2020 final series, and the Cats, once again, didn't cope. Choking in a sporting sense is an awful word to use. I was part of a Port Adelaide team in the early 2000s that was on the end of countless front-page newspaper headlines accusing us of doing just that. And it's no wonder Mark Williams reacted the way that he did on the final siren of the 2004 grand final. As brutal as it is, it's the best word to describe what has happened to Geelong in finals since 2011. The numbers are there. They're plain to see. They're 1-7 and seven in week one of the finals since 2011. And that one win was from a miss after the siren. They are four wins and 12 losses in all finals in the same period. Geelong coach Chris Scott is getting used to answering questions about his finals failures. And once again, he bristled last night. Well, we're comparing 2014 to now. Yeah, I, I think the criticism's a bit lazy, personally. Again, if you, I'll take the most superficial of all. You know, bar Richmond, um, if you include teams that don't make the finals, not many teams have good finals records. You're playing the best teams um, at the end of the year in high-pressure situations. So if you win it, you, you come away with a good record. The other option is you have a really good year one year and you miss the finals three years in a row. Mm-hmm. That helps your record. The Cats froze in front of goal. Stanley missed from 30 metres out in the first quarter. Selwood and others missed easy-ish opportunities. And Hawkins kicked five behinds and one out of bounds on the full. How else do you explain that other than not coping with the pressure of finals? Seasoned Geelong players turned the footy over, particularly in the third term. There was players slipping over and the finals pressure got them again. Scott is wrong to say it's lazy criticism. The numbers speak for themselves. Now imagine in another sport, if Roger Federer dominated the tennis tour but had a 25% winning record in Grand Slam quarterfinals. Or if NBA superstar LeBron James had a winning percentage of over 70% in the regular season but couldn't progress through to the NBA finals. Greg Norman was the number one golfer in the world for 331 weeks but he will still be remembered as a choker. It's brutal but it's true. Scott and Geelong can't dismiss the questions as lazy. Something is wrong when it gets to the business end for this team. Choking in some form is a huge part of any sport, and Geelong can't escape that record. Cats fans, did your team choke again? Is the finals window shut for the oldest team in AFL history? I'd love to hear your thoughts this morning. one 736 736 Or you can send me a text, 0433 98 11 16. Sensing a busy morning on the phones, which we love. It is your show as much as it is ours. Is the criticism of being a choker too harsh? And is it lazy? criticism, as Geelong coach Chris Scott would have you believe. Mark is in South Melbourne. He wants to speak about that footy club, the Geelong Cats. Good morning to you, Mark, and thanks for kicking us off. How are you, young man? Um, I think Geelong, what it is, have recruited wrongly. They've got no youth. You know, Gary, like, no one's questioned Gary Ablett's performance last night. No one's questioned Dalhouse. You know, they've got the, they don't go, the one-track ponies. They go okay at a certain speed. When you bring in, you saw what happened last night. 
and you question they haven't had a ruckman, how are they going to recruit next year? They'll go out in straight steps, and you've got to question Scott then, or they're mm. recruiting. they got Stevens from St Kilda. He hasn't been up to it. Let's be honest. How have Did- they recruited? Didn't play last night. I think criticism uh, towards their recruiting is harsh. I think when you are a team that's been aroundabouts for a long period of time, you, you look at the devastating effects that's had on you know the likes of Sydney, always competitive, Hawthorne, you just don't get access to the elite picks. I, I still think Stephen Wells is the best in the business in terms of a list manager of any club. And the fact is that because they've been up the top so long, they just haven't had the access to those elite draft picks. They've got a good draft hand this year, but it appears as though they're going to top up again with the likes of a Viney or a Crouch or players like that. Thank you, Mark. Let's go to Mao, who's on the line. Geelong Mao, what would you make of it? Okay, well, not so much. I've just driven through Geelong, and I just can't believe what I'm seeing. They're changing all the names of the Geelong. The whole town's been changed to Philippoosas because they always go down straight pitch. <laughs> Uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Often we do get carried away with the loser of that first qualifying final thinking they are going to go out in straight sets. That doesn't often happen. It, it has, and, and Brisbane went out in straight sets last year. I still expect Geelong to account for West Coast or Collingwood, but we'll wait and see. Pressure's on. Cutthroat, ageing list, old, sore, banged up, and not coping with the pressure of finals for whatever reason. Are Geelong chokers? I want to hear from you. This morning, let's go to Anne in Hillside. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. That's good. I just want to say to Kane that that was brilliant, that narrate you have just said. Um, maybe I'm, a, I'm, I'm an Essendon supporter and proud of it, yep. but my barrack for sort of whether, um, covered barrack for court power because of my granddaughter. She's an absolutely fanatical fan, but last night, I don't know, you say about uh, choking, remember years ago, Geelong were called the handbags. They brought out the handbags, old ladies, and that's just what they were last night. You could say, miss, miss, kids, piss, whatever you want to say, every time, and uh, Hawkins and Miss, and they were sort of, they... They were sooky. I don't know. Good on you, Anne. Look, they, they, they just at times didn't cope. Now, it was, it was a pretty mature performance from Port Adelaide. Look, I thought the attack on the footy from both teams was, was as you would expect, and you couldn't be critical of that. But how do you explain those misses? How do you explain season players like Guthrie turning the ball over in their forward half? How do you explain Gary Ablett? turning the footy over, kicking it straight back to Hamish Hartlett, who took three intercept marks in the third quarter in about the space of five minutes. The only way you you explain it is that they didn't cope with the pressure. And by my definition in the opening, uh, choking is a dramatic drop in performance as a result of pressure. And that's what Geelong have suffered in recent finals. In fact, over the last nine years in finals. I also want to ask, will Dangerfield win a premiership? 17 finals, six wins um, in those finals. Four losing prelim finals is time running out for the 31-year-old. What a shame that would be if he never got to salute with a premiership. Mick is a Cats fan. I'm glad you called, Mick. How are you this morning? Uh, pretty shattered, Kane, but how are you, mate? Well, I'm a bit better, Mick. Oh, that's good. 
relieved you. Um, I suppose it makes it a little bit better for 07 for you. But it's all good. So, so you, 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 you're clearly not happy with the, the criticism, Mick. Well, give it to me. You, you think the... No, nah, Geelong... no, no, mate, I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually agreeing with you, mate. We were, we were soft as last night. We um, relied too heavily on a, a forward line that uh, wasn't working. You guys did the right thing by flooding our back line with tall players. Um, our, our small forwards did nothing, and uh, Tommy Hawkins kicked five points from six set shots, so... How, how do you win a game when uh, your forward line doesn't go? Makes uh, it hard, doesn't it? Yeah, um, Dowhouse, no influence. Um, Grind Myers, no influence. Gary Rowan, once again in finals, no influence. Gary Ablett, no influence. Now, contrast that with Port Adelaide's smaller forwards and Motlop kicks three. He was the match winner, I thought, and the most dangerous forward on the ground. Brad Ebert gets himself a couple of goals and Connor Rosie got involved. Butters was involved. So, you know, probably you're right. The, the difference in contribution of those smaller forwards and both sides were stacked with a lot of them uh, may just have been the difference in the game. Sean's in South Melbourne. What did you make of the game last night, Sean? Oh, as a neutral supporter, Kane, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really uh, hard and knockabout clash. And, you know, Geelong flexed their muscles there in the first seven minutes and in the fir- even in up to the five-minute mark of the third quarter, I just thought the difference was the, the young players of Port, uh, Port Adelaide. They really put their bodies on the line, and this is where I want to come to tonight's game with Richmond. I think Richmond and Brisbane is 50-50, and mm. it's up to the fringe players, like Port Adelaide's and Geelong's last night, what's going to make the difference, because Ports were fantastic. You, yeah, and and you're right. Often it is those you know those bottom five players, isn't it? That um, can how can they contribute to get you over the line in a, in a lineup that is so even. So uh, it's a good observation that you make. And if you know, someone had said to Ken Hinckley, Stephen Motlop's going to kick you three, he'd kick ten goals from twelve games all year, and he bobs up and kicks three in a big final. I thought Cleary was solid, and others as well. Whereas those fringe type players for Geelong didn't have the impact. Um, and I'm with you tonight. I know it's very one-sided Richmond, and we'll take a look at the game a little bit closer as the morning goes on and, and happy to hear from the Richmond fans about how they're feeling about tonight. But I think it is genuinely 50-50 tonight, and the loser of tonight's game probably has to come through Port Adelaide at home in that prelim final at Adelaide Oval. Thanks for your call, Sean. Appreciate it. The other controversy last night was the umpiring, and... Chris Scott wasn't critical of the umpiring post-game, but he was critical of the bounce. And I want to get to that shortly. But Peter wants to speak about the man at the centre of it. That is Razor Ray Chamberlain. What would you make of his performance, Pete? Morning, Kane. How are you going now? Good, thank you. Uh, it's the old chestnut. Poor old Ray. At the best of times, when he gets a good bounce in, it doesn't go far above mm. his head. But last night, he was bouncing it from the wrong position in the circle for a start. And one of them went... 60 degrees off the vertical, landed five metres outside the uh, the circle, and he, he let it go. I mean, get the man who can bounce the ball properly to bounce the ball properly and forget this sham about every one of them having to bounce. I mean, I've got no... The arrays, you know, and his umpire is an umpire. I've got not huge problems with his umpire, but his bouncing drives me crazy. You just shouldn't take that on. I just think it's ridiculous. I've been pretty staunch and pretty stubborn with my thoughts on the bounce. I'm starting to change. I think it's been a unique aspect of the game, which I've loved, and I've wanted to preserve it and protect it. But we have an issue with young umpires coming through, and I think it's having to bounce the ball is a big deterrent for young umpires and the pressure of it coming through. 
we want the best umpires. If having to throw it up means more umpires will be able to umpire and we get the best ones officiating, then get rid of it. Because unfortunately, last night was embarrassing. And you make a good point. I'm not sure why they just didn't identify the umpires that were bouncing it well, because there was a couple. Why didn't they just take all the bounces? Like, like, it was a ridiculous decision to continue to hand the ball back to Razor. He was, speaking of choking, he was affected by the pressure of it all. Uh, he couldn't deal with it. So just get the umpires that can bounce it to bounce the bloody ball or get rid of it altogether. Happy to take your texts and your calls on that as well. I think it's time that we scrapped the bounce. Tony's in Geelong. You're a Cats fan, Tone. Uh, what do you make of that performance and, in particular, their recent record in finals? Geez, Kane, I'll tell you, it'll be interesting to see what happens next week. Um, well, last night, I was always trying to look on the positive side of it. Um, all it took was for Tom and, and or Stanley to kick straight and we were home. But mm. the rest of it, I think, you know, the turnovers and stuff, they were probably going both ways. I think we're fairly evenly matched across that. But all it took, if I look at it from a positive angle, is that Big Tom just didn't kick straight and it broke my heart. But... Um, uh, I'll be interested to see what happens next week because if we don't make it through, there's got to be a change at the top. Um, so I like Chris Scott. He's got us playing. He gets us to the finals every year, but then we collapse. There's got to be something wrong. And while I'm at it, it, Razor Ray had a shocker, and I'm not blaming anything to do with us, but since when are you allowed to bounce, take the centre bounce two metres to one side to favour the opposition. Mm. You meant to bounce it in the centre of that circle, and all of a sudden, he's decided he knows how far 15 metres is. How many times did he call play on not 15? Yeah, I I was alerted to it clearly by Chris Scott having um, his complaint at halftime, which which I thought was justified. Like, I've got no issue with, you know, some saw some commentary that Chris Scott was talking about the umpiring, but he wasn't. I think he had a gripe with the bouncing, and, and rightly so, and I think it was well-founded. And maybe maybe we put a little poll up. Is now the time to just completely scrap the bounce altogether? It's a topic that's you know, resurfaces from time to time. But on the back of last night and umpires not being able to deliver what is a vital skill and has always been a vital skill in umpiring, then it's probably the catalyst for saying, look, we don't need this. We don't need the distraction. The umpires don't need the pressure. Uh, It gives teams a fair opportunity at the centre bounce, which is so crucial now with the new rules. Let's throw the thing up. We're up and running for Apollo League, apolloleague.com. Elevate your career. We're going to get to Damo, Pete, John, and a couple of Andrews on the other side of this. It's the captain's run through until 12 o'clock today. Seven new coronavirus cases in Victoria. Those numbers just coming through in the last 24 hours. More with Meredith Gibbs in the news at 9.30. The temper text, uh, temper, a mattress like no other, is going ballistic. Kane, I wake up this morning to another disgusting loss by my team in finals footy. Chris Scott is holding on to that 2011 grand final win like I'm holding on to my under-16 A-grade premiership. It makes me sick. I want to spew up Terry Wallace style and a lot of those of a similar vein coming through. Tom in Seaford has been patient. Good morning to you, Tom. Oh, g'day, Kane. Thanks for the show. Kane, I don't barrack for the Cats. I just wanted to raise a couple of quick points. Uh, Firstly, I want to say I think I hope I'm wrong in a way, but I think Danger will probably probably miss out on a flag the way it's heading. But the but the other thing is I think having that Geelong is a powerhouse at home, 
at the Cattery, they'll win 10, 12 of those games. That puts them automatically in the final finals. West Coast is the same. I think there's, there can be a complacency creeping in in a team that gets, let's just say, comprehensive wins at home. They know the ground backwards. It's a very narrow-type ground. They play it superbly and win all the time, most of the time. However, once you change venues, and they were very lucky last week, Geelong, if uh, Danger hadn't kicked those goals and uh, Papley had been on target, they would have lost. So the writing was on the wall. But I think the youthful exuberance and you know manic style of Port, similar to Richmond, was the difference. But I'm just wondering about the self-belief of winning at home so much. You're really not getting tested enough at other grounds. And uh, there is a, there, there is, they certainly need use, and you saw the difference last night. But I just wonder whether it's a curse and a blessing at the same time, mm. these easy wins at home. I, get, I guess it's, Tommy, sorry, to, a lot of people wanting to have this. I guess it's not dissimilar to you know, the home ground advantages in Adelaide or Perth or Richmond at the MCG. I know the finals are played on, on the MCG, so that's a poor example. But it's not really any different to the advantage that the free, the, the Perth-based sides have over there. Uh, let's get to Pete, who's on the road. Your thoughts on the game last night, Pete? Yeah, thanks, mate. Um... Sorry about that, Pete. Not sure who played that music, but your thoughts again? Have thanks another go. Intro. Yeah. Thanks for the intro, the segue. Um, yeah, no, first of all, I don't think the game was as bad as all that. Um, to be honest, they had a real crack. Yeah, there was a bit of lack of confidence and some mistakes. Um, but in the last quarter, the thing that was what I found interesting was the last quarter, there were two goals in it for quite a, quite a bit of the game. And the thing I was waiting to see was danger go on the ball because they were, they were struggling to comprehensively win the ball and get it up. Uh, they did get it up to their end, but... Um, you know, with impact, if, if you like, getting it out of the middle. And yeah, hey, Pete, just hold that thought. We'll get back to you on the other side of the news with Meredith Gibbs because I want to uh, dissect your point this morning. Here's Gibbsy. Well played as always, Gibbsy. Let's get back to Pete on the road. Pete, you were critical of the use of Dangerfield last night. Yeah, because uh, at one stage, I, that burst out of the middle where he solo, you know, took the ball, ran to the other yeah. end like... Uh, a Maradona back in his heyday, uh, and showed that amazing power. Uh, you know, it, it was just brilliant. You think this guy's still got legs, he's still got speed, he's still got smarts. Why would you not put him, you know, on the ball in the last 10 minutes of the game if he was tired? Okay, rest him for two thirds of the quarter. So, yeah, please, if you could address that. I think that's the, the biggest mistake they, they made, to be honest. To catch 22, isn't it? Like, I mean, you really, you really need a couple of him. He, he didn't present forward much at all, and he, he probably didn't need to. I think uh, Chris Scott would have been pretty happy with how the forward line was functioning. They had eight inside 50 marks at half time to put Adelaide's one. So he didn't really need Dangerfield to go forward, and he needed him around the ball. But when it got desperate in that third quarter, he did go there late in the third quarter, kicked that amazing goal. I can't be critical of it because I think if they're going to win the game of footy, which they had to do, the one that looked most likely was Dangerfield forward. So he's always going to be analysed closely how much time on ball, how much time forward, but I wasn't as critical as as what you were, Pete. But thanks for your call. Andrew is wanting to chat about Geelong also. Morning to you, mate. You're on, Andrew. Fire away, buddy. Oh, what did you make of Geelong last night? I thought it might have been a few other Andrews. Sorry. Okay. 
Uh, look, first off, it was a great game. You've got to give that. The umpiring wasn't that bad because I think Geelong actually overall got a good um, rub of the green in the, it, it, overall in the game, uh, except for the bounce. But in general play, they got a you know, few issues. But I think their midfield cost them big time last night. You, you know, Edward Atkins, uh, Dalehouse, uh, Myers, Dangerfield, Selwood. Now, Dangerfield's the big one, I think. Um, his form's been patchy. Um, I'm not sure if he's carrying an injury. Um, he, and uh, Port Adelaide, with, uh, they, they started in the midfield uh, in the first quarter um, at um, Pal, Pal Pepper. Uh, Pepper. Um, yep. He was bringing that first quarter. but um, And I think Geelong, attack, they attacked the ball mainly from the half-back line. Um, and the, the, the half-backs and the, wing, and, and the wingers are the ones who basically got the ball down the forward line. They didn't deliver the ball quite well. They didn't deliver the ball to um, their forward line um, well at all. Um, so I think John could fix the problem. They just need to, that, uh, they need to get a lot more out of their midfield. Uh, I still think Port Adelaide... Uh, look, they finished on top. People need to remember this. Port Adelaide, and you would, cause you're, and most people would, I suppose, but Port Adelaide finished on top of the ladder. They're a good side. So... You know, two goal, two or three goal loss isn't a, isn't a big thing. I don't think. Mm. Um, I think people are overkilling it, um, and I think Geelong will do well next week as long as they fix some of these structure issues in the midfield. Good on you, Andrew. Appreciate your thoughts. A lot of people wanting to have their say and lining up. Let's go to another Andrew who joins us from Perth, and you were impressed by Port last night, mate. Yeah, I was, mate. I I, uh, I went into it. I, I think Port have been asking for respect for a while, and uh, I I probably like everybody else was of the view that maybe they they could get pushed aside in a final. Um, you know that 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 was probably the the knock on them, and I think Geelong would have gone in knowing that maybe they weren't as quick as Port, but they could probably impose themselves physically. And what came out of that game for me were Port were as tough as any side I've seen in the last few years. Mm. Um, and they obviously went out of their way to do that, but you've still got to be able to do it. Um, and I actually came out of that game thinking Port are, uh, are at least as good a chance as anyone else to win it this year. They were quick. They were really uh, skillful, but they were hard. And Ollie Wines in the middle, I think his game might have been, or probably wasn't overlooked, but... He was the toughest guy in the middle of the ground, getting the ball forward in those contested possessions, sometimes uh, in manners that I, I don't know how he did it. Um, and if you, if Port can get going forward from contests, they're just going to be too quick for nearly every other team. Good on you, mate. Good observation of the performance last night and couldn't disagree with any of it. Tom's in Williamstown. Uh, you're also pretty impressed by Port, Tom. G'day, mate. I'm really impressed by Port. And I think Essendon, instead of copying Richmond, need to take a leaf out of Port Adelaide's book. They made the tough calls. Wingard, Pollock, Pittard got rid of them, brought kids in. You don't have to do that ridiculous rebuild like Carlton did for eight years. You just have to grab a couple of kids, stock it up, and I reckon they are the template, and I'm wrapped for Port Adelaide, mate. Yeah, I'm wrapped for Ken Inkley. Some some bold decisions to trade out, particularly Wingard was significant and Howard also, which I was critical of at the time. And to go to the draft while still remaining super competitive has been something that a lot of clubs would look closely at just about how they've gone about it, including that club, Essendon. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 is the number. Very shortly, we're going to hear from the Australian Test skipper, 
Tim Payne, plenty of time to get through all of your calls this morning. Um, and we will do that and we'll cast our eye ahead to the rest of the finals for the weekend. Really looking forward to what's in store. It's the captain's run for Apollo League. ApolloLeague.com. Elevate your career. Yeah, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Waiting for uh, Tim Payne, who we'll speak to very, very shortly. If you missed the test when it was played on Amazon, it's coming to Channel Seven as well. So feature length special this Sunday from seven on Channel Seven. One of the better and best sporting documentaries that I've ever seen. An access like we just haven't seen. Always wondered what went on in a cricket dressing room. What they got up to. What they you know they ate at lunchtime and how the players reacted when they got out. Well, it's all on offer, and it is well worth a watch this Sunday on 7. Tim Payne is at the forefront of it, and he'll join us very, very shortly this morning. Um, we've got some calls there. Benny lined up. Is Damo on the road still there? Can we get to him? Damo is here, I'm being told. What would you make of Port Adelaide last night, Damo? G'day, Kane. Just sitting at home enjoying breakfast. Love listening to your show. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Um, I want to talk about the good Port Adelaide and the bad Geelong. The good for Adelaide is um, how good was Darcy Byrne Jones in the in the back line? Well, he's been solid all year, and and their back line in general, um, Jonas and Hartlett, few unsung heroes. Mackenzie did a good job, and and Byrne Jones, you know, some thought is he all Australian? Is he not? Yeah, I was tossing and turning, but once again, he's just solid, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And the bad Geelong, they've got to turn this around, Kane. They've been bad the last couple of years. Uh, let's just hope they can sort of turn it around and. What's going to happen with their list, do you reckon, Kane? That is a big question. Um, if it goes wrong and they'll play the winner out of West Coast and, and Collingwood clearly, which we which we think is West Coast, certainly for my sake, I hope it's West Coast because I said Collingwood are making up the numbers. Um, we'll wait and see what happens. But Ablett, Taylor, players that are getting up there, um, what happens to them for the oldest list? I think there'll be some significant changes coming there. Cats fans, you can join in. What changes would you make? And should we just hold firm in not overreacting? Because two weeks ago, everyone was saying Geelong are the best team in it. Johnny's in Richmond. What'd you make of the performance last night, Johnny? Uh, hi, Ken. Uh, yeah, just on Geelong. The best way I can sum up Geelong are they're the Houston Rockets of the AFL. And Paddy Dangerfield is the James Harden of the AFL. He looks great during the regular season. He does all the things right, but when the chips are down, he just chokes. He just—he's the biggest choker like in the last ten years of AFL football. He—he he just he wants the that flag so bad, but I just don't think he has it. He's going to be the next Nathan Buckley. He just does not have that extra bit. He's just gone missing. He got that cheap goal last night. The ball bounced his way, and you know they didn't deserve a goal in that third quarter, like or, you know to get him back in the game really. And Geelong have a lot are in serious trouble next year with the likes of Harry Taylor finishing up. Um, you know, Joel Selwood is is, is past it by probably two years. When he when you would say the elimination final against Melbourne, when he he was nowhere to be seen in that game either. So like, you harsh very... harsh man, Johnny. Just just looking at Daniel Field's record in finals, he's played. The numbers I've got on here doesn't equate for last night's performance, but 16 finals prior to last night, he averages 25 disposals, which is one more than he averages in the home and away season, and he's going at a goal a game in finals. It's a it's a reasonable record, and I think the last person probably responsible for Geelong's record in finals is, is Danger. He's had some big games in finals. Unfortunately, his side hasn't got the result. Matty's in Geelong. I'm assuming you're a Geelong supporter, Matty. 
Yeah, Kane, mate, you're the best guy to talk to because uh, you say it the way you see it. Now, let's say the way Abbott was playing, say that was Sam Simpson playing. Mm. Is he playing next week? No, he's not. Um, and he looked every bit 36 years of age, isn't he? And you know, I want to be respectful to the career of Gary Ablett, but I probably thought time was, was up um, at the end of last year and it would have been a great time to move on. Then he came back against Sydney, didn't he, after that long layoff and, and performed well and had some really nice touches, including a goal, but he just looked out of sorts last night. Thank you, mate. Let's get to the Australian test skipper who's been good enough to call in this morning. There's a fair bit happening in the game that we all love. He joins us. Tim, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. We are pretty excited about the test, which is the feature length special on Sunday on Channel 7. A lot of people have seen it, clearly, uh, Tim, on Amazon, but a lot of people haven't had access to that. What was it like being involved in it? Because it's, it's access like we've never seen before. Yeah, it was it was exciting actually. Um, first bit was a little bit nerve wracking, being a, a sort of as the doco started was my first um, series as, as captain and JL's first one as coach. So we were already probably carrying a few nerves into it. But then yeah, to have the the cameras in your face the whole time was a, a different experience. But um, yeah, by the end of it, we actually had a bit of a joke last year that it, it felt strange last summer not having them there. So it, it's amazing what can become the norm and what's what's possible. So. Um, the finished product, I think, is very good, and hopefully, people enjoy it. It's always been the players' sanctuary, hasn't it? And I've always wondered, you know, how do players yeah. react when they get out? You know, even just little things. What do you eat for lunch? Yeah. And what do you do when there's yeah. so much watching of cricket? It's, it's the curtains are pulled completely back. Yeah, yeah, no, they are, and you'll you'll get an insight into all that sort of stuff. I think most of it they'll be they'll be pretty disappointed with uh, <laughs> um, that sort of stuff when players are sort of sitting yeah. around and, and rain delays and all that sort of stuff. I think you'll see, um, you know, a bit more of the human side and a bit more of the guys' personalities, which is a great thing I think for the sports fans to see that these are, you know, just normal people just like them that have you know very lucky to be playing cricket for their country, but. Um, yeah, there's some, some excellent behind-the-scenes footage in terms of meetings and, and a few blow-ups when people get out or the coaches spat the dummy. But um, also, yeah, some, some rain delay stuff or just sitting around where, um, as I said, public and fans will get to see personality of some of the players, which they wouldn't normally um, be able to see. How have you personally spent this uh, crazy winter? Um, I have just been down in Hobart, which we've been really lucky, actually, with um, mm. the number of COVID cases. So training... With the Tasmanian team, has, has been good for me to come back and, um, I suppose, help out and, and try and get myself as fit as possible. I did a bit too much running, Kane, there at one point, and I've, I'm carrying a little bit of hamstring tendonitis now because of it. I think I'm getting right. a bit old. But, um, yeah, just try to get myself very fit and um, ended up probably going a bit too far and losing a bit too much weight. So the last month or so, I've been given a bit of a free reign, which has been lovely. It's a good problem to have. A lot of people will be jealous about that. Are you, are you going to front up for the for the Shield game October 10th? Are your boys yep. taking on Queensland? I am. Yeah, I am. I'm heading over to Adelaide next week. So next Thursday we fly out. Yeah, the first game Saturday the 10th, which um, everyone's looking forward to, to obviously getting back on the park for their states and um, you know particularly for our test players to be able to prepare um, with three or four Shield games before such a big series um, that we've got the Indians coming is um, is going to be really important for us. And we're lucky that Adelaide have got the facilities to, to have us all over there at the same time, which is awesome. Do you have much clarity on the international schedule? A lot's changed. Are you clear on, on what it may look like? Uh, 
I think so, but you know, like everything in, in the AFL world as well, we've got to be ready to change. Um, you know, by the week it seems at the moment. But yeah, I think I I'm pretty clear. I'm I'm lucky where I can focus in on one um, one part of the game, which is obviously the red ball and, and test cricket. So um, at the moment, I think I've got four tests with the Afghanistan one being postponed. But um, yeah, we will get the four testing against India. Um, I'm pretty sure they are at the moment. But as I said, things can change rather mm. quickly. And how quickly have you been following the dispute between the broadcaster, Seven in particular, and Cricket Australia? Yeah. Like, is it something that's in the background or you are heavily invested in it? Uh, no, I've sort of stayed out of a lot of the stuff, to be honest. Um, you know, when asked, obviously, I'll, I'll give my opinion. That's, that's part of my job. But um, at the same time, I, I found myself at the start of COVID probably spending a lot of energy on stuff that I, that I mm. can't control and... Um, and don't need to. So for me, you know, my primary focus is making sure that our our team and our staff are prepared and focused on, on what we've got ahead of us, which is India. And um, you know, we'll let the boards um, and the broadcasters sort that out. Um, hopefully, they both come to an agreement that's you know the best for for cricket as a sport. That's that's I think the most important thing at the moment. But yeah, for me, I, I just found myself wasting a lot of energy on on stuff that I couldn't control and. Um, thought it was best to focus back in on, on my job and my role, and that's to, to captain and, and lead our team. Tim, no, you've got a, a busy morning with other commitments, so I really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us here this morning. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to welcoming you to Adelaide very, very shortly. And don't forget, the test is making its Aussie free-to-air debut on Channel 7 this Sunday. Have you watched it? If you have, let us know what you thought of it. Um, and those people that haven't, I'd honestly urge you to, to have a look at it because it is one of the better sporting documentaries that I have ever seen. Time now for your calls, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The footy last night, finals footy, how good was it to have it back on? And I can tell you it was special to be at Adelaide Oval last night and, and felt completely lucky to be there. And we'll take your calls on that as we gear up for another big final tonight between the Tigers and the Lions. It's the captain's run. You can send us a text or you can get involved in joining the conversation this morning. Port Adelaide by 16 points in the first qualifying final. They are through to a home prelim final and they probably await the loser of tonight's game is the way that I think it'll turn out. Dave wants to chat about a player in particular, Tom Hawkins, Dave. He kicked no goals, five and one out in the full. Yeah, well, we had a look last year. He did the same thing against Collingwood Cone, didn't he? Kicked them out of a prelim. Yeah, he's had a couple of inaccurate nights in finals, that's for yeah, sure. But it, it, yeah, but is that the coach's spot that puts so much pressure on him to kick a score? Or is that just mentally? I don't know what it is, but Chris Scott does the same thing every year. I don't well, know what's going to change if he keeps doing the same thing every year. Always relies on Hawkins to win him a game. The bloke needs help. Well, he's, he's paid to kick goals, isn't he? Um, so, you know, I think his sole job is to is to kick them. And you're right, in that qualifying final against Collingwood last year, he kicked four behinds as well. But then the following week, he kicked four in the semifinal. So hopefully for Geelong fans, they'll expect a response like that. And part of the problem was he, the marks that he did take were in really difficult positions. There was you know probably two out of the five that you'd think he was a 70% chance of kicking. The others were were genuine sort of four out of ten shots. And I thought Trent McKenzie did force him wide to the boundary, which was a reason why he was so inaccurate. Thank you to you, Dave. Let's go to Taz in Roeville. G'day to you, Taz. G'day, Kane. How are you, mate? Good, thanks. Look, I just want to... 
I'm an independent viewer last night. I enjoyed the contest, absorbing for a, for a couple of quarters. But to me, the thing that uh, I took away from it was that clearly, for me, it was Port Adelaide a team-driven and Geelong a personality-driven. And the previous caller with regards to Tommy Hawkins just summed it up because I think there was an instance there where Tommy Hawkins could have had a set shot from about 45 out, a 45 angle, turned around the corner, did his cute little, you know, uh, banana kick, didn't work the week before, didn't work again, and we really, well, the supporters really needed him to lift. And, you know, like we... we I think we need to look at the personalities of the plane for Geelong. Danger, Selwood, Ablett. Good on you, mate. Appreciate your thoughts. Hard up against the 10 o'clock news. Did Geelong choke? Should we scrap the bounce? We'll take your calls after the 10 o'clock news. Uh, the question we need to solve this morning, did Geelong choke? Because Chris Scott, as you just heard in the news with Gibbs, he says that criticism is lazy but it is criticism that has been directed at many other sport people and sporting teams in the history of the sporting landscape. And it's hard to dodge the numbers at the moment. Whilst it's a shocking term to be labelled, how else do you explain their record? One and seven in qualifying finals and four in 12 since 2011. And I've heard from a lot of Geelong people in the first hour and lots of texts coming through. I'd love to continue for you to join in the conversation with us this morning. Uh, we'll get through some trade news as well. It is ramping up to be one of the busiest trade periods we've ever seen. And Geelong also, whilst we're on them, have been linked heavily to Brad Crouch. Does the events of Monday when he was uh, busted with uh, an illicit substance with his teammate in a taxi just around the corner from where I'm broadcasting here this morning in Grenfell Street, does it change your opinion on whether Geelong should go after Brad Crouch as a free agent? one 736 736 I think it should, and I think there's red flags for any team looking to recruit Brad Crouch. Other trade news coming your way throughout this, this morning as well, and if you've got any rumours or you're hearing anything, apply a link to your club. We'd love to hear it from you this morning. Lindley's been patient in Geelong, but you're a port supporter in enemy territory. What did you make of last night's game? No, I am. And I'm a third-generation port supporter. Wow. <laughs> I'm very envious of you guys being able to go to the ground yeah. and just, you know, sing that song at the end. And, and I'm so happy for Kenny because I... Last year, I must admit, I was really critical. I just thought, oh, no, what has he done? What has he done? You know? <laughs> but I think this year, he's got them all working for each other and the gel in the team, you can really see, come through on the TV. And um, and I think the old, old Port Adelaide mindset is back there this year. So it's great to see. Can they do it, Lindley? Can, can, can they win it now? I'll tell you what, I'm hoping my dad's 86 and he's been a port supporter all his life and I just love him to, you know, see him to see another flag, you know, in his lifetime. That would be brilliant. Uh, I've held firm on Port Adelaide and I haven't, um, well, I've kept my powder dry is probably the best way to describe it. But now it sort of changes. I think it's a, it's a team where you look at them and you think, well, there's there's not a lot of weaknesses here and, 
if things go their way and they've got the favourable draw, the home prelim in front of probably what will be 40,000, I expect the state government to increase the capacity. It's going to be a pretty brutal environment for an opposition team to come through. So I think at least they now win through to a grand final. Lindley, thank you for your thoughts this morning. Larry's in Bendigo. G'day to you, Laz. G'day, Kane. Kane, I'm a Sydney Swan supporter, so I'm very neutral. Uh, can I take you to a parallel world? Last night, uh, Hawkins, instead of missing six, kicks at mm. least three, which he's, he's defeated his opponent for a start. Then we go to the other end of the ground. Charlie, Charlie Dixon's only had six possessions. Everyone would be land-based him this morning. And at the same time, uh, Geelong would have won a game without uh, Ablett and, uh, and Gary Rowan uh, firing a shot. So... It's a fine line between the success and failure. Yep, uh, absolutely. It's a, uh, it's a very good point you make, and you're right. If Port Adelaide had have lost, we would have turned our attention to a frustrated Charlie Dixon who was remonstrating with umpires, who was having a, a few words with Joel Selwood, and uh, his last two games against Geelong, he's had nine disposals in total and has kicked one goal. So you're, you're absolutely spot on, but... Winning, you know, papers over a few cracks, doesn't it? And it always has. I still thought he competed really hard, Charlie Dixon, and he did at least provide some opportunities at ground level for the smalls like Motlop on a couple of occasions to get involved. So um, it wasn't a big night for anyone to, to fully star. I didn't think there was a clear standout best on ground performer, but it was a more even performance from Port Adelaide, and that's why they got the result. Varney's in Croydon South. G'day, Varney. You're a neutral observer. What do you make of it? Uh, look, just a few quick points. First of all, congratulations to the Port. They deserved the win. As you said, they played as a team, but a bit more than Geelong did. Could have gone the other way, you know. But one of the things I did observe in the first half was all of a sudden, don't tell me they've pulled out a rule they're going to uh, use. They, they started calling not 15, not 15, when it was clearly 25 or 30 metres, one of the kicks. Uh, and I found that very befuddling. And the other thing I must say, Geelong were never going to win that, mate. You know why? A black like Motlop gets three kicks, kicks three goals, uh, yeah, pack up, go home, mate. That doesn't happen. And uh, it reminds me of a book I read once, mate. It was called Tomcat's Revenge by Nora Tittle. That's all I've got to say, mate. Okay. Good on you, Varney. <laughs> good, good on you. That one went over my head at the end there, but uh, get your point on Motlop. But he, he was in everything. He looked like the most dangerous player on the ground, which is a contrast to his form this year in his form since crossing from Geelong to Port Adelaide. I can't believe this next person has called in. He's had two of his players, one of them a star involved in a drug bust on Monday morning. He celebrated a wooden spoon, and the side that he dislikes the most is through to a home prelim final. But anyway, nothing surprised me on this show. Steve in Lilydale, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Kane. Thanks. I've, let me tell you, I've never parked so hard for Geelong in all my life. Kane. I can I imagine. <laughs> um, I just want to um, pay tribute to a couple of Port players. Connor Rosie, another eight possessions. Kane, another superstar that you've got there. Well done. Um, you've been all over Chase Jones all year. Another eight possessions from Connor Rosie. Todd Marshall, three possessions. Jeez. Just, uh, You're scraping the barrel here, Steve. That wasn't what I wanted to talk about. I heard on, you, know, you and Andrew talking this morning about um, uh, how Triple M in Melbourne had a, a poll about has Port Power ruined um, Never Tear Us Apart. Um, and, and I think I think that's disgraceful because I, I think clearly that's one of the best um, pre-game presentations um, in, in all the AFL that the crowd get up and sing that. In fact, that's why Port Power went and stole that from the Newcastle Jets. 
you know, they, they scoured far and wide to find something pre-game and they, they, they went to, to Newcastle and stole that and tried to make it their own. So I think Adelaide should should, should do the same and um, maybe a little bit of you. You'll never walk alone. Maybe we can do that because that's original as well, Kane. So I just thought I'd just uh, pay tribute to Port Power, Kane. Well, Steve, well I, I admire your courage, mate. That's one thing about you. And I think we'd actually get on if, if you know, we, we support different teams and I think some of your takes are horrific. You think some of mine are horrific. But I think at the end of the day, uh, we're two like-minded individuals, and I think we, we might actually get on. But I want to get to that as well. Th- those clowns on a rival radio station releasing a poll, which I saw on Twitter this morning, asking whether Port Adelaide have ruined the in excess song Never Tear Us Apart. What a, ri- what a ridiculous poll. Now, it's come from... I'm going to name them. I'm going to, I'm going to name them, and I'm going to launch a little mini-volcano here. It, it's Eddie Maguire and Luke Darcy on Triple M's Hot Breakfast. The jealousy oozing out of those two gentlemen's paws this morning is palpable. You can smell it. Eddie wishes Collingwood had a pregame ritual like Port Adelaide do. And Das at the Dogs, wouldn't he have something? Wouldn't he love something for the Western Bulldogs fans to actually turn up to pregame other than a little bulldog that runs around the boundary line? It has done nothing but enhance the song. It hasn't damaged the song at all. And it's one of the best pregame entertainments in world sport. And anyone that's seen it or witnessed it on TV, I think most of you would agree. James is in Caulfield. You're a Cats fan, James. Hey, Kane. Um, yeah, I was just I was just disappointed with the effort based on um, just players' positioning. You know, you got Mizzy in physical games that isn't going to tackle, and really rolling out Gaz in his his last legs. And I just find that it, it's got to a point now as Geelong fans, where you just go to Scotty. Pick whatever you want to pick. You could tell by the tone in how he was at the start of the year to say he he was well aware of his finals record to say, look, I I probably, I need to change it up this year and this is probably going to be my final crack. But I I say do do whatever Scotty wants to do, but be willing to walk away from it and say, you know, I didn't challenge the squad. You know, we're we're down by seven points and you're playing Dangerfield in the forward line. I mean, isn't Gary Rowan there to do that job? Um, you got a ball that wins a brown line, not playing in the middle. Um, it seemed like a territory game. And I just think if you, if, if you want to, if you want to play that way, then you've got to be willing to walk out that way. I, I, I can't have any thoughts or I can't get my head around the thought that he, you know, if things don't go well, that he won't be the coach. And if he's not the coach at Geelong, someone's going to snap him up pretty quickly. But we're getting a lot of texts saying, well, you know, Scott's on his last legs. He's on, on the way out. I, I personally can't have that. I, I admire his work as a coach. But what I would have done post-game yesterday, I wouldn't have described the criticism around their record as lazy. I would have owned up to it. I would have addressed it. I would have put it on the front foot and, and said, our record in finals is not good enough. I wouldn't have tried to defend a record that you can't defend. That's what I would have done. Jumped on the front foot straight away before a journalist even asked a question. And there wasn't any real hard-hitting Victorian journalists in the room that were really going to challenge him on that. A lot of them were South Australian-based, clearly more focused on the Port Adelaide angle than the Geelong angle. But had there been... I don't know, a Damien Barrett in the room or, you know, even a, a Mark Stevens or a Tony Jones in the room that would was willing to challenge him on that significant, I think you would have got some really good content. But I would have put my hand up and said, our record is not good enough in finals. We've looked and we've tried to address what is going on. But once again, tonight, we didn't cope with the pressure. And that's on me as the coach of this footy club. It is not good enough. 
rather than downplay it and point to inaccuracy in front of goal and point to some missed opportunities and say it's lazy criticism, I wasn't sure that was the right strategy to go um, for Chris Scott. But having said that, I wouldn't be moving him on as coach um, just yet. There's not that many good AFL coaches out there, and I think he's a good one. Ashley's in Geelong. You're a Geelong fan. Yes, Kane. Um, I'm one of the few Geelong fans that aren't too disappointed with last night losing in the sense that we play all our games straight now. We would have had a bye, well, uh, a rest, which is we don't play well after buys at all. You, know, you have a look at our record after buys, it's terrible. So when we played all the games, you know, quick turnarounds, um, we did really well. So I'm not too disappointed. I think there's upside and um, I'm not giving up on them yet. I reckon they're still right in it. Gary Ablett, Ashley, can I can I ask you um, to put you're the coach this week. Does he get one more roll of the dice, Gary Ablett? I would, I would, I wouldn't uh, give up on him. He's a superstar, and uh, even though everyone says he's too old, but he's still got it. He's still got the skill, and yeah, you don't give up on players like that. Good on you, mate. And he's not jumping off his team, Ashley, this morning, nor the little superstar in Gary Ablett. Janine is on the line. You want to speak about the Tigers, Janine? Yes, Kane. How are you? Good to talk. I'm very um, well. First of all, first of all, congratulations on Port's win last night. And can I briefly say that um, I know he didn't get a lot of the ball, but Todd Marshall, that was a real gutsy effort. The kid must have been really, really sore. Um, and just to com- get out, get back out there and compete was just, yeah, I was really impressed with that. So was I. Um, yeah, my Tigers. Um, look, I'm not overly confident. I'm quietly confident, and I think you know the longest, the longer a hoodoo, if that's what you want to call it, goes on for. I think the closer we are to it being broken, and I, but I just I hope it's not tonight. But um, yeah, I, I'm quietly confident, but not not absolutely convinced. I think uh, it's, pro- and... it's probably the perfect way to be. I think. What what worries you most about the lines? Uh, I think just um, probably their midfield. I think with yeah. Lockie Neal. Dane Zorko. Um, but look, you know, the Tigers, we've got, we've got players. We've got decent players as well. You, know, you go through Brisbane's Just good players few. and then you think, well, <laughs> yeah, we've got some good ones too. So I'm disappointed Josh Caddy was left out. I thought, you know, he would have been the perfect foil for, for Jack Rewalt, but um, they know more than I do. So I'll just cross my fingers and hope for the best Kano, but um, we'll see how we go. Good on you, Janine. Love your calls. couple of changes for the Tigers tonight. That man pressed you in as is Bolton, so good inclusions. But uh, Janine's right. Ross and Caddy have gone out of the side as my family's just walking past the Lumo Energy Studio here in Adelaide, which I can see, and they're pretty happy this morning. A few Port Adelaide fans amongst them. We'll get to Les and Brian and Paul, James, Peter in Essendon. He wants to speak about Patrick Dangerfield. Very, very shortly, you can send us a text also 0433981116 on the temper text. Temper, a mattress like no other. Yeah, a lot of other world sport going on at the moment as well. So we're just going to shift gears for a moment because it's a grand slam in action. The French Open almost partway through that. Brett Phillips is the host of the first serve. Thanks to Yonex who have launched their Naomi Osaka LTD edition E-Zone rackets as used by her at the recent U.S. Open. BP, it's all happening. Thanks for joining me. 
Uh, thank you, Kane. Uh, yeah, late nights. Uh, love to be there live, uh, but yes. um, not to be. It's uh, well, a bit like the US Open. It's uh, it's yeah, fascinating, really. Uh, with yeah, the limited crowds and. But I tell you what, the competitiveness on court is there for everyone to see. It's a major. You know, it's big stakes, uh, big prize money, big points, and. Um, there's uh, there's been plenty of moments. So uh, you, you, particularly in the first week, when you're watching so many courts, there's a there's a lot going on. A few controversial moments and a bit of fire in the players. That's for sure. No Aussies left, unfortunately. No. Look, Mark Polman's uh, was the last remaining Aussie standing last night. He took on a, a very good clay quarter, Christian Garin of Chile, who has won four titles on the ATP Tour, all on the clay. So it was going to be a tough assignment. But he did a great job, Mark, to take the opening set tiebreaker. Uh, lost the second convincingly. He led 5-3, serving for the third set. He just couldn't nail it. He would have been two sets to one up, uh, been in pole position to maybe close that in four. He left the door open, and uh, and Garen just makes you play. I mean, he hits with depth. He hits with you know, um, you know, just good uh, good pace. Uh, he uses the clay courts uh, really, really well. Uh, good spins, good angles. Um, just wore down uh, Mark in the end, and then closed that in in four sets. So he, he was close, and that, that's testament to. Uh, what he's brought to the table in his young tennis career, but we just love to see the Aussies be able to go to the next step and actually turn these sort of creditable, you know, gallant sort of um, performances into wins, and uh, that's the that's the challenge at the moment. On the men's side, big guns. Raf is chasing thirteen. I'm correct in saying that yeah, at the French, yep. aren't I? Uh, yep, he's still correct. alive as he, as he's Novak. Can can you split them? I know contrasting styles, and Raf has <laughs> dominated on clay. If you is it shaping up? Is the draw um, shaping up that way that these two will meet in the final? Well, there's one bloke, Dominic Team, who might um, alter that. We'll just see how the next uh, couple of rounds uh, pan out. I think you know Nadal. It's interesting, isn't he? He was a bit cranky before the tournament. You know, he, he loves the Babolat ball. He was training, thinking, oh, the Wilsons is not quite maybe coming off the racket as beautifully. But to be honest, I mean, he's played a couple of rounds and he looks absolutely sublime. So he just loves clay. He loves Roland Garros. You know, he was 93-2 and two win-loss going in. So he's just got, you know, such an affinity with uh, the French Open. So uh, I think as he gets more matches under his belt and he gets into the second week, considering that he came off a fairly limited prep, you know, having bombed out early at the Italian Open last week and having not played for six or seven months, I feel like the more he plays, he's going to get better. Uh, I mean, Djokovic just on the surface. I mean, he won the first set in 22 minutes last night, so he had a dinner <laughs> date somewhere in Paris. And apart from shooting himself in the foot of the US Open, he's looked unbeatable this year. That's how good he is off that baseline. So in trying to compare, I mean, Rafa, you have to give him the edge at the French. But I, I think if it got down to those two in the final, it would be a, one of the maybe the most classic Grand Slam matches they'd play. But then there's Dominic Team as well, and Team. Uh, looks really, really solid. You know, he knocked out Djokovic in the semis last year to get a crack at Nadal in the final, and he's hungry to win the French. I mean, he's been two semis, two finals, and he's fallen a little short. So I think that those three, that is the conversation, and, and no one else really for mine. And the women's side, Simona Halep is looking good. She's on court, third round action today. She'll be hard to beat as well on that surface. That side of the draw as the top seed, yeah, having won the French before Kane, she looks uh, absolutely the player to beat. On the other side of the draw, it's really, really interesting because Carolina Pliskova, the number two seed, got knocked out last night by Yelena Ostapenko, who won the French Open as a young girl, 19 uh, years of age, about three years ago. And she absolutely belts the cover off the ball, though. 
One thing I did notice last night, a bit more shape, a bit more patience in constructing points to match her firepower. So she's a little chance, I think, to sneak through in the bottom part of her draw. And then there's Garbinia Muguruza as well, who also has won the French, who made the Aussie Open final back in January. Uh, she looked really good overnight. So I think probably Muguruza... Ostapenko, I think maybe the two best placed on that side of the draw to maybe meet a hell up in the final as we are about to get into the weekend and turn into the second week. And before we let you go, PP, seven coronavirus cases in Melbourne today, average down to about 12, the 14-day average, just a touch over, which does paint to the, the, the picture that the Aussie Open should be able to go ahead, all things being equal. Is that, is that what you're hearing? Is that what you, your gut yeah. feel is? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. I think Craig Tiley, from what I understand, has been just uh, glued to the phone all week. There's a lot of meetings going on. He's talking to players internationally. They're trying to create this sort of quarantine bubble. From my understanding, Kane, you know, December 14 is the key date of when the players should get into Australia. So if they have to go into that quarantine sort of setup, transport, hotel, uh, possibilities of you know practicing or playing. Uh, maybe some exhibitions uh, leading into January, uh, then that's when they should be getting to Australia for all this to work logistically. Uh, So I think there's some more detail to come out in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, And I tell you what, the tennis folk in Victoria, though, they'd love to just get back out on the court, considering all the things that are allowed to be done, and we still can't go and have a hit on a tennis Mm. court. I know a petition Mm. has been signed uh, this week. It's got about 10,000 signatures on it. So we'll, uh, we'll see if Dan the man changes his mind. I get a feeling he won't, though. Well, that is completely ridiculous that you can swim in a swimming pool, but you can't play tennis or play golf. And I know the golfers have been labelled whingers, but it means a lot to a lot of people and it boggles the mind, the differences of that opinion. Mate, I think we share the same view on that. Appreciate the update this morning. Thanks, Kane. Limited release, limited number available. Check with your local Yonex dealer. They bring us Brett Phillips this morning from First Serve. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Just an article popped up on my screen and something I hadn't thought about a lot because I was broadcasting live from the ground, so I wasn't watching the Channel 7 coverage last night. What did we make of Razor, Ma- Ray- Razor Ray's microphone last night? I'm being told that he was quite vocal, as he always is, but maybe even more vocal than usual. Do you like the umpire mics? Do you like the explanation from the umps? Or is it distractive and you you want them to be not seen or heard, the umps? So I'd love your opinion on that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Titus O'Reilly is good value on Twitter. He said, surprise Razor Ray didn't get drafted, given the impact he has on every game. Les is in Caulfield. Your team is Geelong. Les, how are you feeling this morning? Uh, a bit upset. I, I, I just want to talk about two things. One is our coach. You know, I, I'm a South African and I used to watch rugby. Now I've switched over. I love footy. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert, but my observation is we've got a good coach, but I think somewhere on the road... He needs a few young guys to come in there. I call them scavengers. They're the guys that get the ball from the rucks. Nothing like that happened yesterday. Secondly, I want to ask this question. Why do they call, when you kick a ball up into the goal area, they call it 50-50. Mm-hmm. What is the percentage of the opposition getting the ball, that's the defense, getting the ball, instead of the the, the attackers. It's not 50-50. No, it's, 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 yeah, what would, what would you guess the percentage is that the defenders win it rather than the um, attacking players? Yeah, 
to the attacker. So what is yeah. the point? You, 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 you battle to get the ball. You get, get the ball to the goal area, and then you give it to somebody, and he, and he struggles to get the ball. Okay, he, he, he succeeds. That's great. But how many times doesn't he succeed? And last night was typical. Okay, um, with our guy, he was a bit of a fool. That, that, that does happen. You can't, I mean, uh, Dixon also didn't have the best of games. Yeah. Well, it's a good uh, Les. It's a good observation from a player, a person who didn't grow up with the game. Um, the reason the percentages aren't there is because teams are so good defensively, and they're so quick to get all of their numbers back. So all of the midfielders, the wingmen, even the forwards get right up the ground to clog up that space to make it, you know, at times impossible for the attackers to get that fifty-fifty percentage you speak of, and that's been the defensive advancements in the game that drives a lot of people like yourself crazy. Plenty more calls to get through. We'll get to Brian in Turak, Paul, James, Peter and Nick on the other side with the latest important news from Meredith Gibbs. Yeah, it is for Apollo League. ApolloLeague.com, elevate your career. We'll take your calls right through until 12 o'clock. Plenty of trade news we've got to get through. We'll turn our attention to the big games on for the rest of the weekend. Collingwood fans, I said you're making up the numbers in your game against West Coast. Gee, that, that's a silly thing to say and could really come back to hurt me and I'm sure you will remind me of those comments but it's time now to head to the US because it's all happening over there game one of the NBA finals was comprehensively won by the Los Angeles Lakers yesterday Trevor Lane is senior writer for Lakers Nation he joins us again hey Trev thanks for your time again oh no problem thank you for having me well, they started slowly, didn't they? The Heat got out to a pretty handy lead in the first quarter, but from that moment, it was comprehensive. Did you see that dominance coming? No, I didn't. I did feel like the Lakers had a little bit of a resurgence in them. Some of the mistakes they were making early on, I knew it was kind of a, a feeling out process. That's something we've seen from them so far in the playoffs, where it takes them a little bit of, a time, of time to adjust to their opponent, but... The Heat jump out of that 13-point lead, and then, wow, the Lakers just, they turned on the afterburners. I want to say they, they outscored them. It was something like 75 to, to 35 or something mm. over the next few quarters. The, uh, it, it was complete and total domination, and in a way that we weren't really expecting because we saw the Lakers uh, become so accurate from downtown. They were shooting 65% from three at halftime, and that's not usually their forte, so... It was complete and utter domination by the Lakers. It was an impressive run, and I think that's the best basketball basketball we've seen them play over the last few weeks. They really put it together there. The combination between Davis and LeBron, and LeBron spoke about it during the week, about their relationship off the court. Um, it's hard to go past Davis as almost the best player in the world right now. Is, is that too big of a statement? No. I mean, especially the way he's playing right now, he's added – the mid-range shot, which was not part of his arsenal historically. It was something where teams would try to get him to settle for that, you know, 15 to 20 foot jump shot. And now uh, he's hitting it consistently. He's hitting at a very, very high rate. And when when he's doing that, in addition to everything he can do around the basket and everything he can do defensively and his ability to step out and shoot threes, there's there's just about no weaknesses to his game right now. It's so impressive, the, the growth we've seen from him. And yeah, he's He's got to be up there. In fact, that's, that'll be, if the Lakers do go on to win this thing, that's going to be the big question is, should the finals MVP be LeBron mm. or Anthony Davis based on game one? I think it very well might be Anthony Davis. 
Mm, we'll wait and see because LeBron wasn't happy with the MVP voting. So we'll find out his thoughts on the finals voting. Uh, some concerns gets worse for Miami. We know Goran Dragic has got a torn plantar fascia in his foot. Some concerns about Bam Adebayo and also their star, Jimmy Butler. Have you got an update on their three biggest players? Yeah, so it sounds like Jimmy Butler will play. He rolled his ankle a little bit, so he'll be good to go in game two. But the other two right now are being listed as doubtful. And to me, you know, the injuries they suffered, uh, neck strain for Adebayo, and then uh, that, that plantar fascia tear for, uh, for Dragic, that's, I would imagine they are probably going to be out if they're being listed as doubtful right now, you know, just, uh, just, over 20, just under 24 hours away from uh, when they would be starting to warm up for this next game. So, yeah, I'd have to imagine the Heat are going to be without them, and that's, those are some big, big losses for them. Uh, Dragic has so much for them from that point guard position, and then Adebayo is arguably their best player at center. He's so important to their defense and their offense as well with his drives to the basket and his ability to create. So that's going to be an enormous loss for them. Um, yeah, that's it's a brutal blow and, and brutal timing for the Miami Heat to experience these losses right now in the NBA Finals. Game two of the NBA Finals tomorrow. You'll see that on ESPN. Trevor Lane, senior writer for Lakers Nation. Can can, can a t- team rebound from a drubbing like that in the first game? Has it been done before in the history, or is there just too many mountains to climb now for the Heat? Yeah, no, it actually has happened. Uh, the Lakers did way back in the 80s against the Boston Celtics. They got blown out uh, in one in game one, I believe. I'm trying to remember the year. Maybe it was 1987. Um, they got blown out in game one, and they came back and won the series. So it, it is possible. It certainly can happen. But, you know, Miami losing those players, that certainly doesn't help their, their odds. But, you know, it's a best-of-four series. You have to win four games. One game doesn't mean the series is over. Both both teams have to be looking at it as uh, as the, they still have a chance. They still have an opportunity to go in there and uh, and win a championship. So, yeah, one game, It's it was a big game, and it was a big win for the Lakers but by no means is this series over. Former teammate of LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, took to Twitter. He says, I felt like I was the best option on every team I've played for down the stretch. This is the first time in my career where I can look down and be like, that, you know what, can make the shot too. Um, A few people pointing out, though, that uh, LeBron James, in fact, had better numbers than Kyrie did in the closing stages of their games. Do you think you'd be bothered by that at all, LeBron? I don't think so, even if it, even if he is aware of it. I mean, he did make a statement shortly after talking about how well he gets along with Anthony Davis and how there's no jealousy and anything. We don't know if that was a response, if he even knew what Kyrie had said. Uh, I believe Kyrie posted something not long ago denying that it was about LeBron or, or anything like that. Um, you know, sometimes this kind of drama will, will filter through the NBA. It's the way it goes. I remember... Uh, Shaquille O'Neal back in the day, right after coming off of playing with Kobe Bryant, saying that Dwayne Wade was the best guard he had ever played with. And then later he said Steve Nash was the best guard he ever played with when he went to Phoenix. So sometimes you see statements like this from from players and they raise eyebrows, but ultimately I don't think all that much is going to be made of it. Uh, LeBron is extremely locked in on the NBA Finals. I I, I was making the, the comment last night, I don't think we've seen LeBron James smile in probably about two weeks now, he's been completely focused. So I don't think these comments, if he even does see them, are going to bother him one bit. Mm. And some big news. We follow the Philadelphia 76ers closely because of Aussie Ben Simmons. Uh, what can you tell us about Doc Rivers? 
sure. I mean, Doc Rivers has a great reputation around the NBA, great reputation with players. He did win a championship in 2010 with the Boston Celtics. I'm uh, sorry, 2009 with the Boston Celtics. And uh, 2008. <laughs> I got my years all wrong there. But, uh, but Doc was, uh, you know, he's known throughout the league as being a, a coach that can really communicate with the players. And the hope is that he'll be able to take these Sixers to the next level because we know they have a ton of talent between Ben Simmons. You've got Joel Embiid there. They've added some other pieces as well, guys like, like Tobias Harris, uh, Al Horford. Uh, he, he didn't have a great season, but he's still a, a veteran player that can do a lot for them. So they've got good pieces there. The question is, can they find somebody who can put it all together and make it gel? And they were looking at, you know, a Mike D'Antoni hiring someone like that or a Ty Lue, but in Doc, you're getting a little bit more of a, a veteran coach with a, a stronger reputation with the players. And this is a guy who does have a championship un, under his belt. Now, he didn't do well with the Clippers. He spent seven seasons there and only won three playoff series total. So that's not, that's not great. But given the choices out there, I think Doc is a good option. He's a great communicator. And uh, hopefully he can get the best out of this group. Oh, well, good on you, mate. Can I have your tip? It'll be the Lakers in, in how many games do you think it'll take them to get it done? I said going in it was going to take six games, but I'm going to say Lakers in five at this point, especially with the injury that the, that the Heat has suffered. So I'll say this thing goes five games and, uh, and the Lakers win it. Love your work, Trevor. Trevor Lane, senior sports writer for Lakers Nation, tipping his Lakers to win the NBA Finals in five, and that would be four NBA championships for LeBron James. Three of those on different teams, Cleveland, Miami, and now the Lakers. And the discussion, the debate, LeBron versus Jordan will certainly raise its head again and, and happy for that to continue on for a while. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We've got a lot of people being patient, just waiting on the end of the phone line to have their say. So won't keep you any waiting, uh, waiting any longer. Let's get to Brian in Turak. You want to speak about Geelong's issues, Brian? Thanks for your call. Yeah, good day, Kane. I was just wondering. I think uh, before this year, I thought like a lot of people at Cadinia Park was the reason they used to finish so high and then bomb out in the finals. And I think they've dispelled that this year by playing. Pretty much everyone's been playing on the same ground. And watching last night's game, it just made me wonder. I mean, they were in that game. I mean, at half half time, Mm. uh, they were all over. uh, All over them. They six straight. It might have been a different story. And it just made me wonder about two things. Are they too old? And more importantly, are they too old in some you know, critical positions? Because Hawking, I've, I've always doubted Hawkins anyway as a reliable kick. Um, and Gary Ablett, you know, two guys who were meant to kick maybe between them, say, four goals, and that's your game. And I just wonder whether or not, as a broader thing, they're, they're too old. And they're too key, well, Hawkins in particular, um, just struggles, whether it's under pressure, and I reckon he's had that his whole career, by the way, whether he struggles under pressure, or whether he um, he just he's getting to that point where he can't deal with uh, you know the extra the extra pressure that's involved in the game, and that's for Chris Scott, the guy can coach. That twenty eleven mm. flag's his flag. Bomber Thompson would have won that flag with all the issues that were going on. So you know that was my comment. I was wondering what you thought about whether or not they were just too old, and Billy Hawkins is struggling under that pressure. Um, well, last... I just yeah. Sorry, we got one more last point. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you. You were at Port Adelaide. And there's a similarity here. I don't think you can talk about John over the last 10 years. The last couple of years, you guys were top of that ladder, mm. well, I think two or three years in a row before you won the flag. And were you guys struggle? I mean, I'm just curious to know, do you think there's some similarities between Port then and Geelong now? We're consistently performing, but just couldn't get to that final day. 
Yeah, well, we won more home and away games than any other team over a three-year stretch, but continually bombed out in the finals. And it was that qualifying final that, that killed us. Collingwood got a hold of us once. Sydney got a hold of us once as well. Um, it just makes it too hard to win. You end up um, not having that week off, and then the away prelim final hurts you. Now, not as significant an issue for the Cats because of where the footy's been played clearly, but it, do, it did play on my mind. I'm, I'd be lying if, as a player, you don't go in thinking a little bit about the finals record. And how else do you explain some of the errors that Geelong made last night? Other than that, they, they don't cope with the pressure of finals. So I don't think you can shy away from the record. It's there for, for us all to see. But, Brian, you make some, some very good points, though. Paul's in Brooklyn. Also continuing the conversation on the Cats. Paul, your take? Yeah, thanks, Kano. Look, it was a fantastic game last night, and it was great having the crowd back. But what I was saying, just an observation, mate, and I'm not just, I'm an independent supporter, but, you know, the first team on the ladder win 14 games, and they play the fourth team on the ladder and win 12 games, who've won 12 games, and they beat them, and all of a sudden, fourth is choked. Like, you know, mm. that's just an observation. Have they really mm. choked or just fought better than them? Well... They were favourites. Uh, Geelong were favourites into that game. And for whatever reason, um, Port Adelaide heading into that game were fourth fourth favourites, according to the bookies who make a lot of money by getting it right for the premiership. So, you know, why that was the reason, I think last time they played clearly factored that in where Geelong beat them by 10 goals and people still not trusting Port Adelaide. So, you know, even even the, the betting agencies had Port Adelaide fourth favourite. Now, they won't be now. They'll be second. Whoever wins tonight's game will be favourite for the premiership, I would assume. Um, but it's not just uh, us that uh, underestimated Port Adelaide. But, yeah, it's, 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 look, it's a reasonable point that you make. But I think most people would have tipped Geelong to win that game last night. And the record previously for the Cats is what we're also talking about this morning. Nick's in North Melbourne. Uh, Tommy Rockcliffe on your radar, Nick. Yes, look, uh, two very quick things. The first was a shout-out to Andrew, who won our Fantasy Football League this year, and the large reason why he did it was because he had Tom Rockliffe as his captain, and watching him the last few weeks, I just couldn't help thinking, is he one of the most underrated players in the league? Uh, after being dropped halfway through the year, he's been massive in the home stretch. Well, he must have stuck firm, the, the man that won your Fantasy League, because he did get dropped, and, and you're right. He gets big numbers. He's been crucial for them in the last six weeks. Him winds... And Boak in that midfield, and it does suit them for that slippery finals footy that's played at night, and that was a key pack, a factor along with Sam Powerpepper last night. Nick is no, that was Nick. Let's go to Gary quickly on Razor Ray. How'd you assess his performance, Gary? Okay, no. First off, this is our favourite weekend of football for the entire year. The AFL final series is gold. We love it. But by golly, unless it's an obvious free kick yep. during the finals, it should be play on every time. Now, this tosser called Razor Ray, in the cauldron of AFL, there's a lot of legitimate jostling that goes on. All of a sudden, this bloke plucks out a free, and we're supposed to listen to him dribble on to wait in why he thinks it's a free kick. Good on you, um, Gary. We do have a Twitter poll up. Uh, SEN's captain's run if you want to have a vote. Do you like the umpires mic'd up or not? Jump on Twitter and have your vote. Time now for a breather. We'll get to Craig in Perth very, very shortly. You are listening to the captain's run with myself through until 12 o'clock before Dwayne Russell be pretty happy with Port Adelaide's performance last night takes over as well. 
Time to catch up with our man, Barry Lester. Now, Barry is partnered with Apia, proudly supporting Bowls Australia to encourage our community to get set go to perfect their lawn bowl skills with techniques and trade secrets to encourage living a healthier life. Barry, thanks for joining me again. Yeah, good morning, Kane. Thanks, mate. This week's episode focuses on worth the weight, how you use your body weight to perfect the perfect shot technique. Give us a hint. Yeah, no worries. Um, it's it's pretty relevant to a lot of sports. Uh, if you look at cricket, you know when you sort of get taught how to play cricket, it's getting your weight forward and getting your foot to the you know to the pitch of the ball, etc. And and in bowls, it's one of those things um, we really need to be introducing as much body weight as we can when we're delivering the bowl. Um, yes, we hold the bowl in our hand, and and you know, most of the control is in the hand and the arm, but we really need to step with a bit of purpose and get that body weight in behind the bowl as we deliver it. And, and that really comes into play in extreme uh, conditions, such as if you're playing on something really slow, uh, if you're playing on a sort of a 11, 12 second surface, you're really going to have to get that body weight in behind uh, that bowl. Victorian greens, sort of the Southern states across Australia, pre-Christmas when there's still a little bit of uh, rain around, that's when it really is important, especially for those uh, Southern states. Look forward to checking out this week's content, mate. As always, watch the content at the Apia Good Life Hub, apia.com.au forward slash Good Life Hub, where Apia are all about possibilities. Yeah, it's going to be a big last hour. Very shortly, we'll hear from Port Adelaide assistant coach Chad Corns, the better Corns, most would say, and the one we've named your quiz after, which we will also play in the last half an hour. So stick around for that one. It's a big edition of Chad's Brothers Quiz this morning. We're here for Apollo League, apolloleague.com.au. You can elevate your career. Well, it was Port Adelaide last night emphatically, well, reasonably emphatically, um, beating Geelong by 16 points. In the first qualifying final, they are through to a home prelim final in a couple of weeks. And Channel 9's Tommy Wren was live on the ground there last night, and he joins us. Tommy, you legend. Thanks for your time. No, pleasure, Kane. What a game of footy. Um, I think it just emphasised and I know it's a, a sore point, unfortunately, for Victorians with um, border closures and crowds, mm. etc. But how good footy is when you've got even a half-full stadium. That atmosphere last night, as you know, was just electric. Try and describe it for us, Tommy, because you were there from setting up from about you know 4.30 yep. in the afternoon yesterday. You saw the fans flock in. You spoke to a couple of them on Channel 9 News in Melbourne and Channel 9 News in Adelaide. Try and describe what it was like for the people that weren't lucky enough to be there? Oh, it was just, it was great. It was just football as you remember it, you know, mm. excitement, a buzz. It was a little bit pensive, I thought, before the game came, but then about half an hour, 40 minutes, there's something that happens for night games. There's, there's a different kind of an atmosphere and just this buzz, this energy came over, you know, Adelaide surrounding, you know, the ground and then inside it became a cauldron and, I've got no doubt it's it's worth two or three goals a crowd. You get a couple of hometown decisions. I'm convinced on it. Um, whenever you have a crowd that maniacal and that parochial, it helps. And and I think it lifted the team as well. It was just pulsating. It was it's the best atmosphere. I think I don't know if I'm biased, Kane. I was I was hoping from an essay point of view they would get home, but I think it's the best game I've seen this year, just from an intensity point of view. So tough and tight mm. and courageous at times. I loved every minute of it. I thought it was a great contest with a brilliant crowd. 
you're down at Alberton right now. You're joining us from there where one of their senior assistant coaches and, and the architect of their defensive structure for Port Adelaide, Brett Montgomery, has just spoken. And I think that it appears the week off is going to come at a pretty good time. There's a couple of sore boys this morning, Tommy. No doubt. Look, Xavier Dersma, that, I mean, was talking about courageous and tough an effort from him, as we've seen in his career so far. But he does it a lot. Uh, to put his body on the line like that, and unfortunately, Blixar's falling on top of him. I think he'll be okay, um, given that he is, um, you know, got to get that extra week, Kane. I reckon he'll be right. Marshall's the one. We're waiting for him to go in for scans. Um, look, he played on last night, but not sure the availability on him. It's still a bit early for that. I hope he plays. But if he doesn't, the beauty they've got, Kane, is one option is Mitch Georgiades. The other one could be, and it might be a fairy tale if they get to the GF, Justin Westhoff could get the swan song, you know, to bookend his career. So we'll wait to see on that. But I think Dersma will play. I think Todd Marshall, much less certain. Mm. And it appears as though the path will be through the loser of tonight's game. That's the way I think it'll go. Yeah. So it'll either be Richmond or Brisbane. If you're a Port Adelaide uh, supporter and Brisbane happen to lose tonight and the prospect of getting them out of Queensland to the hostile Adelaide Oval environment... It's a pretty favourable matchup for Port Adelaide to win through to a grand final. That's exactly how I think they want it to play out, Kane. I think mm. they want Richmond to win tonight so they avoid playing them in the prelim final week. And if they do have to take on the Lions, they get them in Adelaide on their ground rather than a grand final at the Gabba. So I think power fans tonight are wearing the black and yellow scarves saying, come on, the yellow and black, get it done for us. Um, that said, Kane, last night, I think there's been doubters on Port for most of the year. And you know what? Probably fair enough. They haven't won a final for six years. I think they put that to bed last night. And I think for themselves as much as anything, now they believe they can beat anyone, anytime. That was, that was a huge moment for their development last night. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable point that you make. Hey, we've just heard from the Queensland government, the Health Minister Stephen Miles has announced that the GABA capacity will be 30,000, so that's 75% of capacity for the grand final. 25,000 allowed there last night, plus a few thousand yep. in corporates, I think, Tommy. South Australia have eased further restrictions yesterday. You can now stand up to have a drink at the bar. You can have 150 at a wedding, and you can dance and do things like that. Do you expect the crowd capacity to increase in a couple of weeks' time? I think there's every chance. And hearing that that, that could be a real chance, Kane, which would be fantastic if it was the case. The dancing thing scares me because I'm a really bad dancer. So Same. the fact I'm allowed to do that again <laughs> is, um, is not good. Um, but um, aside from that, I reckon there is a chance, Kane. I think we could be pushing up towards 30. And I know that the government are keen, and certainly the stadium, if they can get more to it. Two weeks is a long time. I mean, don't Victorians mm. know it's doing it so hard. And, and, you know, we do feel for them over there. We want football back at the MCG in finals time. Um, but I think there is a really big opportunity, and they'll be pushing hard for that in the next week to see whether or not they can relax things further to get more people into that game. Because last night was brilliant, but wouldn't it be great if we could get another 5 to 10 you know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, 100%. Um, Tommy Wren joins us from Channel 9. He's live from Alberton this morning. The other big story from the other team's perspective was in relation to Brad Crouch and Tyson Stengel. Both yeah. players have apologised on their various social media platforms during the week. Um, but rightly, the Crows are furious at this. Uh, what can you tell us in relation to this uh, drug bust that happened in the early hours of Monday morning? 
Look, I, I don't think Brad is likely to front publicly. I know we sent out that Instagram post yesterday, which is you know a popular thing to do now to get on social media. I don't think we'll actually hear him talking though until the club and and he have come up with a de- determination for a punishment. Kind of a bit murky though with Brad, isn't it? Because of his contract situation, there's no doubt it doesn't help him. Can I mean mm. people are talking and we're speculating, but it, it probably cost him anywhere in the vicinity of half a million to a million dollars for his mm. next contract. I mean, it's that significant. I, I know him a little bit through um, work over here with mine. He's contracted to nine over here. You will not meet a more popular, lovable, great country fella. He is such a good guy, but he's made a terrible mistake. Um, and the problem is, just talking to a few people, the Crows, when they get back to pre-season on day one, Kane, players are going to have to... I've spoken to a few people. Players are going to have to get through, put through two weeks of rigorous... Um, you know, meetings now. This is what you can and can't do. They've been through it for the senior players, especially hundreds of times before. But because of this, they're going to have to do it all again. That question of culture is going to continually get brought up, despite the fact I think they've made massive strides in the back half of the year. But because of this incident, um, perceptions, everything, as you know, it, it's really going to hurt them. Um, and, I, and I think sadly, it probably hurts Brad's prospects in terms of getting that big five-year deal he was after. Mm. I agree I agree 100% with you. And it makes it difficult for the club to release any sanctions, I guess, on the two players internally and, until they know whether Brad will be an Adelaide player or not. Spot on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how can you sanction a guy if you don't know he's going to be there? Um, look, I, I, hope he's, I hope it's just a blemish. We all make mistakes. Um, goodness, I've made hundreds of them in my life. I, I hope they, you know, give him another chance. Singles... Tricky, um, you know, he's a young Indigenous player. He's a, he is a lot younger, but he's got that form with the drink driving charge. You know, two in a year, um, pretty significant. They've got to they've got to work out the crows pretty quickly. What are we doing with these guys? Are we going, you know, to keep them and persevere, or do we cut them loose? And I think the other thing too, Kane, is if the big offer doesn't come for Brad, mm. um, they're not going to get a, as good a compensation pick. So it's going to potentially hurt them there. So it's almost a, a double whammy for the Crows. Um, really tricky situation. A lot to play out over the next week or so. Tommy, I no, you'd be... Stay. I suspect he'll stay. Really? You think he'll stay? Yeah, I, I think he will. I, just a gut feeling. I, and I'm not going really on much intel at the moment, Kane. Mm. Um, but just my feeling is, I think he'll stay. I think now he'll feel like, I've got to sort this out. I've got to get myself in order and I'll do it here. I'm bedded down. I've made a mistake. I want to work hard, prove to my teammates, the supporters, everyone at this football club that I'm committed and that I'm going to work through it and, and really, um, you know, be a strong citizen for this football club. That would be big news. Tommy, I know you're busy. I'll let you get back to work. Appreciate the update from Alberton this morning. Pleasure. Thanks, Kane. Joe and Irons, Tom Red on the ground for us. Um, just in relation to all things coming out of Port Adelaide as they're fronting up to training with some sore bodies this morning, get involved. Lines available one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll play the quiz very very shortly. But Craig's in Perth, and he's been waiting patiently. Craig, thank you for your call, mate. And you want to speak about the cats as well? Yeah, Kane. I'm a, I'm a bit half glass full. I, you know, one of your callers, Brian, mentioned the first part of what he said. I agree with the sliding door moment. Um, last year they lost the first final, and then um, they came up and played West Coast, who I barrack for, and. West Coast actually hit the front towards the end of the game and Geelong come back and beat them. And then when they got to the prelim final, 
people are saying, you know, there was a few people saying that Hawkins would have made the difference um, had he not got suspended in our game. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, last night, and, and even last night you were saying that Port Adelaide were fourth favourite. But the irony of that was in last night's game, they were favourite. So, right. you know, okay. I, I, yeah, they were a seventy or something and Geelong were $2.20. So, you know, there are those sort of discrepancies. And, and I think the game was a great game last night and it could have gone either way had... Geelong, Geelong taken their chances early, you know, and then it swung around and Port Adelaide withstood that and then came home a lot stronger. So, you know, and they did that against Richmond in the game this year as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared to throw Geelong out at the moment. I, I, and I know their finals record isn't that good, but they um, still have a good list and, and they were in the game last night. Good on you, Craig. In Perth, that is a bit confusing. Port four favourites for the flag, but favourites in that game. Last night, work that out. Uh, on the other side of this, we'll he- hear from one of their assistant coaches as well, and we'll play the quiz shortly. Stick around for the captain's run. All thanks to Apollo League, ApolloLeague.com. Elevate your career. What a song. What a song it is. It's made the song better, not worse. And one man who was on the boundary last night is Port Adelaide's assistant coach, Chad Corns, joined us a little bit earlier on on SENSA to wrap up the performance. Chad, welcome. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. What impressed you most? Uh, can I say the crowd? <laughs> yes. <They were. laughs> the crowd were amazing. Um, yeah, for what they've been through this year, not being able to get to too many games, but the atmosphere on the ground, I'm sure Kane, you would have heard it. Um, it was brilliant. So thanks to them. But in terms of how we played, like I still don't think it was our, our best game, um, you know, especially coming into half time. There wasn't a lot going right in terms of you know, how we planned and, and executed, but the third quarter, the pressure, the attack on the ball and the man, I think was the highlight for me. Well, Chad, that can only be seen as a positive, that you still got better footy ahead of you. What, what areas in particular need to be improved? <clears throat> well, the midfield, I thought, weren't at their best in the first half in particular. Kenny had a really good chat to them at half time, and they responded brilliantly. In the third quarter, um, I thought Lysette was important in the third quarter. Ollie, Bokey, um, you know, Pep always plays that, that tough, hunt-contested way. Um, so the response from them was good. Um, I thought we moved the ball a little bit better than we did against them last time. You know, last time, if you remember, we just continually bonded in long to Charlie and, and their tall defenders came off and impacted. You know, I thought we had a better system going forward. Um, but you know, pretty much all the boys agreed after the game that we've, we've got a lot to give still, um, which is a great thing going to a prelim. When you say Kenny had a really good chat to the boys, um, <laughs> what, exactly what sort of chat? Uh, you can probably imagine it, Kane. It was, it was animated. It was quite loud. I was sitting over with the Fords group, you know, listening to what Bass had to say to them and, and could just overhear a few things he was saying. I think it was more about just the contested work, um, you know, not getting some of the stoppage structures right and the way they planned to go in. But the response, as I said, was great. And Bokey's like last five minutes of the third, he was sitting on the bench and he went on with about five minutes to go into the third quarter. And I thought he was brilliant as well. Just his speed really broke open the game. So the mids really turned it around, which was a great thing. Stevie Motlop's got his critics, Chad. Last night, he certainly yeah. earned his money. 
Yeah, he's building. Like, he's had a really good month. Uh, it's probably been said before, he does a lot of work that gets unrecognised. Some of his you know, work rate to defend, to get up the ground to defend. But he's hitting some great form at the right time. He was... He was a different Mots last night. He was a bit angrier. He was a bit more vocal. And you could tell he was on. Uh, I love the way he played. Uh, love the way he's been training and going about things. So it was a great reward for him. Anything to do with playing his old side or just because it's finals? Oh, no doubt there's a little bit of that in it. Uh, but Mots has played some, some really good finals. There was vision of the 2013 game. Kane, I think you were playing in it when, when Geelong beat Port. And he had a really big impact in that. And he's my well, final for Geelong. I've seen him play before. He's he stood out. So seems to me he's a big time you know, game player and does love playing in these sorts of games. Kenny kept us guessing a little bit with the Hawkins matchup. Um, Cleary, you know, some conjecture whether he would play eventually did take his place. But Mackenzie was the man that that did the job and and he did it pretty well. Yeah, I thought he did. Like obviously Trent had the the hand issue, which he, he batted well through really well. Uh, you know, Hawkins kicked five points, I think it was, but you know, a lot of them were from wide, difficult positions. So I thought Trent defended really well. Uh, I thought the back line as a group defended really well. Jonah was really important again, took some crucial intercept marks. And I thought, yeah, the, the decision was close or Bonner, you know, but did sort of go down to the wire. And um, in the end, I think the coaches made the right call. So a bit frustrating last night with some of the commentary around uh, Trent McKenzie matching up on Hawkins and what was going on. Someone like Tom Hawkins, who is probably the best forward in the competition and, and, and has been for the last sort of couple of years, he's just huge, he's magnificent. Like, is it more trying to quell his influence versus saying, well, let's look at the stats and, and see who won the day? And, and so trying to get him to lead to the boundary in situations like that? Yeah, obviously a lot depends on how we defend up the field and, and last time when he kicked those six goals we didn't defend at all you know, the boys just didn't come to play that day for whatever reason so the way Clive had to play him last time I don't think anyone could have stopped the delivery that was coming in um, you know, a couple of months ago but you know, the pressure up the field last night was better, like we said we, he was getting his spots, these shots in difficult spots and Trent is probably one on one the strongest defender in my experience, is you know, defending, playing on them, you know, as you do at training, he is super strong. So there was no doubt within the coaching uh, group that he was the right matchup for Hawkins. Players' reputations grow in finals, and a couple of the youngsters did their reputations no harm. And I thought it was an important night for Todd Marshall. It wasn't his biggest night, clearly, but went off under serious duress really early. Went down, probably had it jabbed up, I'm assuming strapped up, came back on and played a role when you were already, you know, a rotation down. You would have been pretty impressed with a play you've had a lot to do with. Yeah, I can't hide my love for Toddy. Uh, and it was an important night for him last night. I thought he started really well. Some of his contests were great. No, he only ended up with three possessions, which people will look at and say, you know, he should be dropped. But his contest was great. And then to get that shoulder knock and to come back, on, sorry, boys, I lost a bit of the voice last night. Um, and to do what he did, and you can see how much the boys love him. Like, I haven't seen too many reactions from a whole playing group like we saw after Toddy kicked that important goal uh, later in the game. So I'm really proud of how he got through that game because he was, he was really, really sore. Was it an AC joint? Um, and will he be okay for the prelim? 
Yeah, it was. It was that. Uh, I think you probably know that mm. better than me, Kane. You played the week after and probably didn't need to with your one. So I think given the extra week, he should be fine. Yeah, I think- but... I'm I'm not sure just yet. No, good signs that he came back on. You can jab them up. I think you'll be okay. The other one, Xavier Dersmer as well. Like it was an unbelievable performance, and not for the first time he's run back with no thought of his own safety. How did he pull up? <laughs> yeah, he came back down on the bench, and you know he was speaking normally. Obviously, wasn't feeling amazing, but I think given that extra week off too, gives him every chance to be able to get up for the prelim. Yeah, and what a contest it was. I'm not sure how that was paid a mark to the other team, but um, <laughs> it was a brilliant contest. And X, <laughs> X has been doing that um, ever since he played his first game for Port. So the boys really respect the way he plays. Hey, Jody, just to jump back on Todd Marshall for a second, uh, and he said you said he's one of your favourites. So we don't hear from him much. What's he like? What's, what's his personality? Oh, he's a very humble kid. He's uh, quietly spoken. He's very football smart. Like, he's one of those guys that's got a great footy brain. And if you watch him closely during the game, like, just some of the little knock-ons he does, you know, getting his his teammates in better positions. You know, obviously, he's, he's still got so much growth to go in his game. Um, probably not getting enough of the, the footy just yet, but like, what he's been through, you know, I was there with him with a couple of those, you know, families he's, he went through. For him to have the resilience to get through that and you know, to first off stay at the club. If I was him, I would have headed back to Victoria. I think he's he's just a really strong character. The boys love him. Um, and after that performance last night, hopefully the, the rest of the Port Adelaide family can get right behind him. This group and the chemistry, can you compare it to 2004? Oh, it's completely different, like... Connection wasn't the the buzzword in 2004 and we didn't do all the activities that we do now to create this bond that the boys do have. Uh, I don't want to go go there comparing teams, but the way the boys are connected, the love they have for each other right now is is nothing that I've seen before. So, you know, the work the whole club has done in getting the the boys to this uh, this stage – and this amount of care and respect for each other, it's, um, it's outstanding. What were the scenes like in the room? Did you, did you get a moment to, to celebrate that and just sit back and enjoy? What, what was it like after the game last night? Oh, it was. It did remind me of the action. When we were on the prelim in 04, came when yeah. you go around and thank the crowd. Like it, it reminded me of that, being on the ground straight after the game and then down in the rooms, obviously. Kenny had a quick chat. Uh, he's thinking about Toddy for his effort. He singled out Jonas and just made sure the boys know that uh, there's two more to go. So I think they'll have a couple of days off to recover over the weekend and we'll get back into it on Monday. Um, Chad, on personal matters, uh, the uh, Chad Corns Performance Academy is on the move. House up for sale. Um, <laughs> people interested in buying it? I had a little look myself on real estate. Um, there's a bit going on. It's quite uh, roomy, let's just say that. Plenty of room for a big family. Well... As we know, the media do get paid a lot, Hazy, so would you be interested in making an offer? I'll have to pay it off over about six or seven lifetimes <laughs> if we can come up with some kind of finance plan. <laughs> no, mate, it's, it's on the market, so, yeah, slowly getting some interest, and, yeah, we'll see what happens. We spoke to big Charlie Dixon. He's excited about the new high-performance centre. He reckons it's going to be bigger and better than ever. Well, there's already a really nice shed out at the Kangarilla property that there's been talk from a few people, and Kenny's 
Kenya even mentioned building an actual proper gym out there, which got me thinking. So, yeah, possibilities are endless of what we can do with our fitness out there. Um, <laughs> Kenny was under so much heat and scrutiny and probably undeserving, I thought. Uh, what have you seen from him? Uh, and, I mean, just how impressive has he been? Well, his belief hasn't wavered. I think, I'm not sure when he said it pre-season, February. but he, he called it early and said, we're going out to win the premiership in our 150th year. And everything he's done since then has um, represented that. He's, you know how strong his relationships with the boys are. I think he's made some, along with the, all the other assistant coaches, they've made some great in-game calls, um, especially over the last couple of weeks. But, like, seeing him, you know, as the walks down from the coach's box onto the ground, you could see the emotion in his eyes last night and how that, how much that meant to him. And I think we've seen a bit of a shift with, with our supporters to start to really get behind him too, which is great. It clearly has to shift now. But before last night, uh, at no stage, Port Adelaide, uh, the premiership favourites. How, how did that sit with you, Chad? To be honest, I did not bother anyone at the club one bit. Um... It's better to fly under the radar. And to be honest, there were, there were teams playing better footy than us up until about a month ago. Um, I think it was fair. You know, the sort of criticism we were getting, but we've hit good form at the right time, which was Kenny's always been Kenny's main focus, hit form leading into finals. So I think I've had Kane say, you'll get the recognition if you win finals and if you win big finals. So, you know, that'll start coming now, no doubt. And... And maybe some of the odds for the premiership change after last night's performance, but to be honest, mate, it does not bother anyone at the club one bit. I did uh, spare a thought for Justin Westhoff last night. I, you know, I probably thought he should have been included. It must have been tough for him to watch on as an emergency. Is he ready to go if, you know, say Marshall is sore and doesn't get up? And how do you keep the mood of the players that aren't playing up in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, the guys that have been close and haven't been selected, their attitude has been outstanding. You know, Riley not getting picked uh, last night. His attitude was, was really up and about in the rooms. Jared Lean, it was the same. And you know what Westy's like. He's just going to do whatever's best for the team. He's ready to go if needed. Um, had a little chat to him just before Kenny gave his pre-game address last night and you could see how much he wanted to be out there. But he understands why he's not. So you know, if, if things happen, if there was injuries, he can slot straight back in and I'm sure it'll have a big impact. Are players required to watch the other games this weekend or is it just sort of see what happens? Oh, it's not a requirement, but I would assume that everyone will. Um, you know, not being able to get together in groups and watch it like we like we used to do after you win this final. Sort of get together and, and see how the other teams go about it. That's not really allowed, but I'm sure every every player on our list will be paying close attention to the remaining games. How does the All-Australian runner spend his day today? 28 degrees here in Adelaide, sun's out, Ooh. shirt off down the beach, what's big, happening? Big opportunity. Yeah, there'll be a lot of shirt off action, I'm just going to hit the gym after this interview, might get the motorbike out, so oh. what a day, really Perfect. excited about it, coming up last night. <laughs> Guns will be out today, if you spot him on the Harvey, uh, give him a toot. Um, thanks for joining us, well done on your form last night, great. Thanks guys. It's time for Chad's Brothers Quiz. Well, yes, it is time for Chad's Brothers Quiz, and it's a big addition. If you're not confident in the people that are going to come before you, line up one 736 736 Jace got through first, and he joins us. Morning to you, Jace. Morning, Kane. 
Righto, let's get stuck into it. How many shots at goal did Big Tomahawk have last night? Six. Yes, well played. He kicked five behinds and also one out of bounds on the full. Which player played in his first final last night after playing over 200 home and away games? Sorry, mate. They've been a bit harsh there with your time commitment. I uh, don't think you were going to get it anyway. He's been in the news. Bit of publicity about it. Tim's on the line. G'day to you, Tim. How are you, Kane? Which player played his first final last night after playing over 200 home and away games? Tom Rockliffe. Yes, Tommy Rockliffe. One from one for big Tommy Rockliffe. Who were the leading tacklers on the ground last night? Um, that was, wasn't it Rockliffe and Guthrie? Oh, you're you're good, Tim. Tim in Cheltenham, you are good. Question number four, you're two away from the win. Who kicked the first goal of the game last night? Um, Otlop. No, wasn't Otlop, unfortunately. Jake in Northcote. Good morning to you, Jake. Yeah, hey, Kane, how are you? Who kicked the first goal last night? Uh, that was Rhys Stanley. It was Rhys Stanley. Trent McKenzie kept Tom Hawkins goalless. When was the last time this happened? Um, I'll just have a stab round nine. I don't know. Mm, not, not, not a bad guess. Good on you, Jake. Uh, here he is. Here he is. The big man in Geelong. I've been waiting for this call. Big man, how are we? Hello, good man. How are you? Can you confirm that I have uncovered your identity? I'd rather you kept that to yourself. Thanks, Kano. <laughs> I, can, I can keep your privacy to myself, and I will do that, big man, but it's good to put a face You're to a, a name. Man. What did you What did you make of the performance of your cats last night? I hate the cats, mate. I'm actually a Crow supporter. <laughs> oh, is that, is that right? I just love, I just love, I just love Menegola. You, love, you, you live in Geelong, and you love Menegola, yep. and you love Bartell. But you're a Crows fan. Yep. All right. Yep. Well, for the That's win, exactly right. I think this will be your third win of the quiz for the year, which is unfair <laughs> in itself. Um, when was the last time Tom Hawkins was kept goalless? Uh, yeah, I've got no idea, boys. <laughs> That's all right. Well, it's good to speak to you, mate. Appreciate it. You couldn't win it again anyway, so I'm sort of happy that you lost. Uh, Paul's in Coburg. G'day, Paul. Hey, Kano. Um, versus West Coast? No, it wasn't versus West Coast. Uh, Peter, in, no, Greg in Somerville. Hello, Greg. Yeah, good day, Kane. I've got no idea, but I'll go round 11. Wasn't round 11. Peter's in Sunshine. Pete, when was the last time Tom Hawkins was kept goalless? Got you there, Pete? No, nope, so let's move on. We'll give him a dong as well, but we're going to go to the same suburb, stay in Sunshine and speak to Daniel. Daniel, the last time Tom Hawkins was kept goalless was when? Uh, say round eight, Kane. No, it wasn't round eight. Daniel in Richmond, welcome to the quiz. How are you going? When was Tom Hawkins last kept goalless? Uh, was it the Collingwood game? Yes, it was the Collingwood uh, game, my man. That was round seven. Against Collingwood was the last time Tom Hawkins was kept goalless, and that was Chad's brother's quiz. I'll put you back to Benny who will sort you out 
with a prize. Just some uh, contract news. You've heard the three signings from the Melbourne players in the news. They've locked in Tom Sparrow, Harry Petty and Joel Smith on new deals. Now the trio put pen to paper this week. Smith will be at the Demon until the end of next season. Sparrow and Petty uh, at the end of 2022. And out of Fremantle, NAB Rising Star winner Caleb Sarong has just signed a contract extension that will see him stay at the Dockers until the end of 2023. A very, very good signing from the Fremantle Footy Club. Don't forget to listen to This Is Your Sporting Life on Sunday from 10. Sam Edmund talks to Socceroo John Aloisi. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And I've got a couple of copies of the AFL record in my hand this morning. But you can also get the digital edition, which is out now. And it's also available at sen.com.au and the SEN app. That's all thanks to their partner, their major partner in Akasha. Plenty of time, well, not plenty of time, a little bit of time left to take your calls through until 12 o'clock. So lines are available. You can jump on. What did you think of the bounce last night? Is it time that we scrap it? And can we get to the bottom of whether Geelong choked? Chris Scott, the coach, said it's lazy criticism. I think there's something more in it. We'll take your calls on the other side of this before we wrap things up on the captain's run this morning. Apollo League, the team to revolutionise your career in the corporate world. ApolloLeague.com. The captain's run with Kane Corns. Seven minutes to 12 o'clock. If you're listening to us on SENSA in Adelaide, it's 23 minutes past 11, and it's been a very busy morning once again. Thanks for all of your calls and your contribution, your opinion, your thoughts, your passion. It's what makes the show so enjoyable to do every Friday morning. Apologies to those text messages that I haven't been able to read out. Kathy's in Hoddleburg, um, if that's how I pronounce the suburb correctly. Kathy, you want to speak about Brody Grundy? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I was calling to ask you about a comment you made about Brody Grundy last Sunday on the footy show. Yep. Um, I don't have any issues with you commenting on football form, but you made a comment where you said or inferred that he had um, landed the big butt contract and maybe that he was just content with that, more or less inferring he was resting on his laurels. Yeah, I did say that. So yeah. um, I was wondering, what did you mean by that? What I mean by that, Kathy, is it's not uncommon for a player who gets the big contract, and we've seen it uh, across a number of cases, uh, the likes of um, Stephen Canelio from the Giants, Josh Kelly, Andrew Gaff probably in the similar category. Once players do land that massive pay deal, something subconsciously switches off. And I've actually spoken to Brent Harvey about this, who played the last probably eight years of his career on one-year deals. Nothing more motivating for a player than playing on one-year contracts where you're putting it all on the line and you're playing for your future. Now, it's not a conscious thing that, that Brody has done, but once you've got your financial security set for seven years, often form drops, and that's why I hate long-term contracts. And I don't know whether that's the case for Brody Grundy, but I'm just speculating as to why his form has dropped off this year. Appreciate your call. Let's go to Adelaide and speak to Johnny, who wants to speak about the Collingwood game tomorrow night. Good out to you, John. Good, Kane. Kane, the game against Collingwood and Port Adelaide is one of the one of the great one of the best games I've seen so far for head over the ball, committed and all that. So when you line up form, they've got to have a bit of a chance against West Coast on their current form. You reckon? Or not? No, you just think it's a one-way I, game? Yeah, I think it's a one-way. I'm not. 
I don't think that way. I think just think the obstacles ahead of them and, and West Coast form in Perth, irresistible, I, I think. And Collingwood just have struggled to score all year, Johnny. So I'm just not sure how they're going to kick 11 or 12 goals against West Coast defence, who welcome back some big names in a game like that. That's my thoughts on it. And look, if they do win, I'll be made to look completely stupid and I will wear that and I've got no issue wearing that. Gillan McLaughlin has done his weekly media rounds with 3AW. Firstly, he was wrapped with the ratings last night. Well, the footy, the ratings have been unbelievable all year. And, um, yeah, last night was up, uh, the equivalent game, up 34%. It was um, bigger than any finals outside the prelims, up to the prelims of the last year. And um, Melbourne was up 50%, but also, you know, Fantastically, um, um, you know, the northern market audience were huge. So Sydney was up 260% and Brisbane's ratings were up over 100, you know, over 110%. So to about, to about 30, 30-odd percent uh, year on year on a big audience is, is amazing and, and it's a you know, testament to the loyalty and passion of our supporters. He went on to speak about the increase in ratings in 2020. Well, I think it's been a remarkable year, Neil, and I think that people have, 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 you know, invested in the story of the season. It's been very close. Um, Obviously, last night was a very, you know, there was a lot of interest going to the game. You know, Geelongport was a close game on paper going in, and it was a tight game. But I think, you know, I think, you know, Melbourne is strong, and and the the, the story in the numbers is, you know, obviously rated well in Adelaide last night with Port in it, but... Melbourne has been very strong. We've got our own circumstances down there and, and the story of the season, but huge growth in New mm-hmm. South Wales and Queensland. There it is. Big ratings. The AFL wrapped with that as they have been all year. One of the more controversial moments last night was when Chris Scott left the coach's box at half time and did ask the question of the umpires in terms of a query over who was bouncing the ball. The AFL CEO was asked to respond to that this morning on 3AW. I haven't heard that he is. I don't know. I I, um, I saw in the, I didn't see the incident. I saw him ask afterwards. I've had a meeting this morning. It wasn't raised, but again, that'll be with the, I'll leave that with the footy department. If, if there are any issues, I, I certainly don't haven't heard of any. Mm. And uh, we'll wait and see if there is a follow up. Uh, Chris Scott was asked to clarify the comments after, and he's pretty respectful to be honest. He was actually quite complimentary of the umpiring standards. Didn't, didn't said that they didn't have an influence on the game, but. He just queried, and I think rightfully so, who is responsible for deciding who bounces the ball. I'm sure Dwayne Russell will have an opinion on that after 12 o'clock with Dwayne's World. As always, as we count down to what is a big night of finals football, Collingwood, sorry, not Collingwood, it is Richmond taking on Brisbane from the Gabba tonight. It's going to be it's going to be an absolute ripper, and the loser probably finds their way through Port Adelaide in a prelim final in Adelaide in a couple of weeks' time. It's been a busy, busy morning. one 736 736 If you want to continue the conversation with Dwayne, he'll guarantee that if you ring him, I've heard him say it, that you'll get on. Bit of midday madness coming up with Dwayne, who's going to be a pretty happy... Um, well, he's a Port Adelaide fan, isn't he? He's a past grade of the club, so I'm assuming he's got some strong thoughts on that. It's been the captain's run... For Apollo League, apolloleague.com.au. Looking forward to doing it all again next Friday. And uh, once again, to all of you in Victoria, stay safe. Um, 
There is a bit more positivity. Thank goodness for that. And we'll do it all again from 9 o'clock next Friday. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.